0: Everybody doing today? Good. Good. Uh, we're going to keep rolling through uh, 1 Corinthians. So uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Excited to, to bring the word to you guys today. And <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, uh, I had the, the privilege of teaching through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, that kind of serves as the context for what we're going to talk about today. So just to kind of hit a quick recap um, the issue in first Corinthians chapter eight that Paul addresses is this issue of uh, eating meat that was offered to idols and that's one of those things like we hear that and like culturally it doesn't really resonate with us like what in the world is is that all about and um, what was happening is you had these different groups of believers uh, well first you had this group of, of pagans who would offer uh, animals animal sacrifices on behalf of their Uh, beliefs on behalf of their religion and through this process uh, they wouldn't always use the entire animal and so uh, being opportunistic as they were they said hey let's let's take this leftover leftover parts of the animal and let's take them to the market and we'll uh, we'll put them up for sale and uh, then you had these two groups of believers, one group of believers that uh, it didn't bother their conscience to go purchase some of that meat and eat it. And some of them even would, would go into uh, pagan temples uh, and sit down for a meal and eat this meat. And then you had, so, so that, that would be kind of like the liberal side of, of people. And then you had the more conservative people that looked at that and were just like, my gosh, you can't do that, right? We don't, we don't do that. And so it, it was causing some conflict um, and so uh, this idea that, that Paul addresses is that is the idea of your rights and what he would later go on to say in the chapter is that sure it's within your right to eat the meat because we, we know that there's only one God and these other gods that they worship are not real and so there's nothing wrong with the meat but really at the end of the day you're, you're asking the wrong question. Right? And the part where I think we can relate to that maybe will resonate with us, hopefully will resonate with us as, as believers in America in 2013, is we're pretty good at asking the question, what can I get away with? Right? What can I do? What shouldn't I do? Right? We ask those questions all the time. And, and sometimes we just want somebody to, t- to tell us okay, it's okay to, to see these kinds of movies and it's not okay to see these kinds of movies or, or music, right? It's, uh, it's okay to, to drink these kinds of beverages in these kinds of places, but not, not these kinds. And it's okay to, to talk this way, but not to talk another way, right? Sometimes like, it seems like it would be just really helpful if somebody would just tell us, yeah, you can do these things and you can't do these things, stay away from them. Uh, but Paul would say that even those, like it's the wrong question that you're asking. Right, He goes on to talk about that whether you're on the liberal side or the conservative side, the thing that we need to be aware of is that our behavior right, in our being conservative, in our being liberal, our behavior has the opportunity, has the chance to lead other people into sin by the way that we live. And so what you really need to focus on is not whether it's within your rights to to participate or not participate in whatever it is you fill in the blank but what you really need to be aware of is how is you exercising your right one way or the other affecting the person next to you whom christ died for by you exercising your right in a a liberal manner is that causing you to lead somebody else into sin right and that's what paul talks about and so he quickly gets to the heart of the matter and it's like okay you have this issue of whether to eat the meat or not eat the meat, but here's the thing, it's not about the meat. It's about your brother, right? It's about your sister, right? The meat's fine, but, but by participating in that activity, your brother looks at you, who maybe has a weaker conscience, your brother who came out of a lifestyle of paganism, in this instance, would look at you and say, well, he does it, so I'm gonna go do it too, and now he's led back into the lifestyle that he just came out of because of your... Liberality and so so that you 're focusing on the wrong thing it 's not about what you can or can 't or should or shouldn 't do right that, that we would lay aside our rights to participate in whatever it is for the sake of those around us right and, and so that 's kind of the the context of chapter eight and Paul begins there and we 'll go for a few chapters into chapter eleven, really talking about this issue and so Last time I taught, I, I titled the message, The Idol of My Rights. And so today, if I were going to put a title on this message, it would be The Idol of My Rights Part 2. Right? This is something that, that we need to talk about and that we need to hear uh, a lot. Right? We hold our, our rights in, in high regard. and I'm not even saying that that's a bad thing that we do that. But, but think about here in 2013 America, like rights are kind of a hot topic right now. You turn on the news, you check your Facebook feed, right, and people are talking about how our rights are under fire, and they are. Right? It's something that, that's getting a lot of a lot of press right now, and for you guys, I'm sure something that you have thought about. Right? As Americans, we we have rights that are given to us just by virtue of where we live. Right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the American dream. Right? It's our right as an American. We have the right to live the life that we want to live. We have the right to freedom, to liberty. We have the right to pursue that which makes us happy. And, and we do. We do pursue those things, right? We, we live uh, we live out those rights every day. And so as we get into 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is going to talk about these rights. And he's going to talk about... Um, how we should view our rights. And so let's just get into chapter nine. We're gonna read uh, right now verses one through 12. and We're gonna see Paul uh, really establishing uh, his right as an apostle. So just kind of keep in the back of your mind the the context of chapter eight of the Corinthians asking the question, should we do this or shouldn't we? And Paul telling them, wrong question, right? Pay attention to, to your brother and how you exercising your rights has an effect on your brother So we get into chapter nine. Paul says this. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others, I am not an apostle. At least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have a right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain." Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not even we more? We'll pause there for a second. So Paul right right out of the gate in chapter nine, <clears throat> establishes a few things, right, in terms of his rights. He quickly establishes his apostolic authority, right? Paul, uh, if you read back in Acts chapter 18, uh, it's when he established the work at Corinth, right? And, and it tells us in Acts chapter 18 that he lived among the people for about a year and a half, about 18 months, right? He lived there. And, and some things that we know about Paul is that he, had a side job everywhere he went. He didn't rely on, on people to provide for him. He kind of made his own way. And so he lived among these people, uh, working by day, making tents. And, and by night, or when he wasn't making tents, he would be in the synagogues and, and around the city preaching the gospel. And so we see this work established in Acts 18, right? He establishes the church. He basically plants a church in Corinth, right and so he had spent significant time with these people and this letter he's writing sometime later right to the corinthians after all of this had happened and so he was pretty vested pretty vested in the corinthian people because of the time that he had spent there and so he's reminding them of his apostolic authority as the one who started the work there and he speaks of a of what you want to think of is think about like a, a signet ring that would be dipped in wax and then sealed on a letter, right? Or uh, a wine bottle is another uh, example that I read that would be dipped in wax, right? And, and, and what this signifies uh, is, is the authenticity and the quality of the product, right? When you, back in this day, you got a letter that, that was sealed by wax with a signet ring, like you knew where it came from. You knew under whose authority the letter was written because of the seal That was on it. And so Paul establishes again his authority with the Corinthian people that the fact that the work that he started is still there and still going, and there's people there that still love Jesus, right? It's proof. Proof of the work of Paul, proof of his apostleship. And then he quickly moves on uh, to establish his rights, right? He asks this series of rhetorical questions that we read, right? Do I not have the right to eat or drink? Right? Kind of a dumb question, right? It's like a totally rhetorical question. <clears throat> of course we have the right to eat or drink, right? Can I not take my wife with me? Right? Sure, of course you have that right. And then he asked these three questions that kind of everyday life examples. It says who serves as a soldier at their own expense, right? I don't know how many of you guys have served in the military, but for those of you that have, like did you have to pay your own way? Of course not. The military paid your way. They gave you three square meals a day and a place to sleep, right? Provided your your clothes, right? Gave you a gun. Right? The, the their your expense was not uh, your own money wasn't expended in your military service. Right? He talks about those that, that plant a vineyard, right? I don't, I don't know. if you guys have a garden, right, or, or, or a farm or something you grow things. It would be pretty ridiculous if you didn't eat what you grew, right? Like if you grew a garden and, and you you just gave it away to everybody else and you didn't eat any of it, right? I might look at that and say, well, "That's kind of crazy. Why? Like, why would you do that? You have the right to eat what comes from your garden, right? Or if you have animals, right? If, if the end goal of you raising a cow isn't that a steak is going to end up on your dinner table, like that's kind of crazy, right? That's we, that's why we do these things, right? We raise animals and then we we partake of. The bounty, and so so Paul not only does he establish his apostolic authority, but he establishes that in light of that apostolic authority, uh, and even just in light as of a minister of the gospel, like he has these rights. Right? it's not unreasonable that Paul would expect that when he went from place to place, that somebody would give him a place to stay. Right, it's not unreasonable that he would expect. Uh, that people would invite him over to their house for dinner or for lunch, right? It wouldn't be unreasonable that he would expect that somebody would would give him a few bucks here and there or buy him some clothes or it's it's not unreasonable for him to think that at all. And even goes on to establish the biblical authority, right? From from the word, like the Bible even says, like the ox that works in the field, that plows all day, like even, even the ox gets to eat, right you don't you don't muzzle an ox you don't put put something over the mouth of the ox so that he can't eat the grain right the Bible even says that <clears throat> and and so what Paul is, is saying in all of this to the Corinthians it's like hey it's not unreasonable for me to come here to you guys or wherever I go to expect that as I'm laboring in the ministry of the gospel that that you would take care of me I thought I would have a place to stay that, that somebody or a group of people would provide for me. It's not unreasonable. Jesus would even say in Matthew ten, you don't have to turn there, but but Jesus would even say, as he's sending out the seventy-two disciples, he says to them, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. So so Jesus himself even as he's commissioning disciples says, go out and have an expectation that that the people that you labor for they're going to take care of you. Jesus is telling don't take anything with you because you will be provided for. Right? And so so this is what what Paul is establishing like it's not unreasonable to say that it's my right that you would take care of me because I'm here laboring in the gospel for you. And not only is it my, like, like it's expected, right? It's, it's expected that you would take care of me because of my labor in the gospel for you. Not only did Paul say it, Jesus said it, the Old Testament said it. And so Paul has a lot of, a lot of arguments on his side uh, in this to prove his point. But then in the latter half of verse 12, he uses this word nevertheless. Right? You know how we've talked about before, like a few times in the Bible, when you see this phrase, but God. Right? Like in Titus chapter 3, that talks about how. We're sinners and we're all these and then but God in his in his kindness, right? His loving kindness, his mercy, he saved us, right? This is this is kind of Paul's, you know, but Paul type statement, right? He says, I have I have these rights, but then he goes on to say in verse 12, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, <clears throat> nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make full use of my rights in the gospel. So so Paul builds up, right? He's building up. I've got these rights. I I should expect you to take care of me. And then, then here comes the big Nevertheless, right. Nevertheless, I, I set aside these rights. Right? Some of you guys, I, I used to have a mortgage business, and some of you guys, if, you, if you've ever refinanced a house, you, you've heard of this term of right of rescission, and you know what that is. If you've never refinanced a house, maybe you don't know what that is, but when, when, you, when you refinance your house, it's required by law that you have this three-day rescission period where you can really think about, is this really what you want to do? And any time during that three days, your loan is closed. But any time after that three days, you can you can say, "I don't want to do this. I changed my mind. Right? I want to nullify this loan, and they'll they'll send it back." And this is what Paul is saying here, right? He's rescinding his rights, right? Paul is exercising his right of rescission with regard to his human rights. And and, that's a big word. And so Webster has this to say about rescind. It's to abrogate, to annul, to revoke, to repeal, to invalidate. If that gives you a picture of what we're talking about here. Right? Paul has these rights, right? But he invalidates his rights, he annuls them, he revokes them, he repeals them. Right? Not, not just saying, Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna set aside my rights for a time, right? He's like I he revokes them, right? Sends them away, sends them back. <laughs> and really this is the heart of the of the matter that, that Paul is getting at back in First Corinthians chapter eight. Right? Yes, you have the right to do this, but there's something here that's more important than your rights. Now, just a quick quick word here on a little bit of a side note, but uh, we do see in Scripture where Paul did receive support uh, from churches from people, but typically this would happen when Paul wasn't there. For for example, when he was working amongst the Corinthians, they didn't support him. Paul supported himself; he had a day job, right? But but when he would go somewhere else, when he was away from the Corinthians, maybe they would send him support at the next place down the road, and that's kind of typically how it worked with Paul. And so when he was with people living in their midst, right, he didn't want to be a drain. Paul didn't show up in Corinth wanting to be a drain on them right, so as not to have any barrier to the gospel message. right. What was kind of common at this time is that you had guys like Paul <clears throat> who were kind of these circuit, circuit preachers, if, if you want to call them that, and they would travel from town to town and they would preach their message not even necessarily the Christian message, just guys that would travel from place to place and they'd draw a crowd and they'd speak, right? And, and it would be common that these guys would collect money as they went from town to town. Um, <clears throat> think of like maybe some musicians that have come through here and maybe we pass a plate to, you know, love offering to give them some gas money to get down the road, right? Something like that. And these guys would, would travel around from place to place collecting their, their fee uh, when they would speak, and so you have Paul who is kind of doing the same thing, I mean, different purpose, but Paul is, you know, from the outside perspective could be looked at as just another one of these guys that's traveling around, right, from place to place and wanting to draw a crowd, wanting to draw attention to himself uh, just so he could collect some payment. And, and this, isn't, this isn't Paul, right? Paul would say, I have the right to do that. Absolutely. Like I have the right to pass the plate right now, right? So you guys can, can pony up some gas money so I can get down the road. But but Paul revoked his right to do that. He rescinded his right to do that. And so, something I've been kind of chewing on this week as I've been thinking about this is, here here you have Jesus saying, okay, this is reasonable and expected for you to to go out and and assume that people are going to take care of you. And here you have Paul saying, I'm not going to do that i Am not going to do it? So, like, is, is there a conflict here? Like, is Scripture contradicting Scripture? And, and so, so, I've been chewing on this this week, thinking, okay, like, okay, obviously Jesus' words are going to trump, you know, anything that, that Paul has to say. But I have to believe that that, that Scripture validates Scripture, not not that Scripture is in conflict with itself, right? And so, so just thinking about this, um, and I read this a couple weeks ago, so this may sound familiar, but. Paul had this to say in Philippians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. So, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Right, And, and so Paul is, is telling us Right, don't be selfish. Right? Think about others in everything that you do. And, and it's actually this is going to be a joyful thing for you to do. Right? And so here's what here's what I'm telling you to do. Right? And, and if I stopped there, if Paul stopped there, right, and we said, okay, that's it. Everybody, you know, we're done for today. Have, have a good day. We'll see you next week. Right? Some of you would walk out of here thinking, well, I'm not that selfish, right? I help people when I can. Some of you. Would probably walk out of here thinking, well, like, it's one of the great things about being an American is that I can be selfish. Like, I, I have the rights to, to my own happiness. Right? Why, why would I want to consider anybody else? Right? Why would I want to do that? Paul goes on, thankfully, and, and gives us some reasoning behind this. Like, Paul's not just putting this heavy command on us saying, don't be selfish. He goes on and he says, <clears throat> let each of you. Uh, Look not only to uh, to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. One of the most horrible ways anybody can die. And so Paul brings some gospel context to the conversation, right? Don't be selfish, right? Consider others to be more significant than yourself, right? You're gonna get some joy from this, but, but here's a reminder, right, that we all need to be reminded of. There was, there's one greater than you and me who laid aside bigger rights than I'll ever have, bigger rights than you'll ever have, right? Jesus Stepped out of his heavenly throne, right? Stepped out of his deity and stepped into human flesh. Right? Scripture's not contradicting scripture here. God became man. And not only did God become man, but he humbled himself and he became obedient, obedient to his father and the very people whom he created are the very people that put him to death, a horrific death. And so Paul brings some, some context to he's like, I'm not just telling you to, to lay aside your rights, I'm not just telling you to be like me. Right? Not telling here's the thing: <clears throat> Jesus Christ laid aside greater rights than you and I will ever have and he didn't even do like there there was a reason there was a purpose in that and the purpose behind that and we'll unpack this more in a minute but the purpose behind that was so that you and I could have relationship with him so Paul's bringing some some context to what we're talking about here <clears throat> this is very counterintuitive right think about like just our rights as americans life liberty the pursuit of happiness how many of us are are very quickly going to say yeah i'll, I'll revoke that right like i don't want to do that right i'm sure you don't either I was reminded this morning of a of a story that i read a few weeks ago uh online so you read a lot of news and i don't know maybe some of you guys caught wind of it <clears throat> gun rights are a pretty big thing right now pretty uh debated topic in the news and you see it on on facebook and twitter and all out there, and, and uh, several weeks back, there was this, uh, I don't even remember the name of the group, but they organized a uh, bring your gun to Starbucks day, like open carry, and uh, Starbucks didn't even have anything to do with it, they are just a place where people gather, you know, and so some group organized this uh, this particular day and said, this is the day that, you know, if you, if you can carry, right, and don't, don't conceal it, like come, you know, open carry, bring your gun to Starbucks, and they did it. And you can imagine it caused quite the, quite the hoopla on the news. Um, all People from all sides of it, right, were, hey, it's, it's our right. <clears throat> I have the right to open carry. right? I have the, I'm not going to take it out and shoot anybody, right? I have the right to do this. And other people were saying, well, I, I have the right to not be scared that the person next to me has a gun. At the end of the day, it really didn't help anybody. Right, doing anything, and then, you know, Starbucks came out and issued a policy, you know, about all of it, but it, it didn't help anybody. All right, the people that brought their guns, they were well within their rights, right, as long as they were doing it legally. And the, the people that weren't into that, it was well within their right to say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with that. Right, well within their rights. So you have kind of this this mixing of people who, oh, this is my right, well, this is my right over here, and your right's infringing upon mine, well, yours isn't, you know. You can, you can see how it goes. And I think if Paul were here today, he, he would say, the question isn't, should I or shouldn't I carry my gun to Starbucks? Right? It's the wrong question. Right? Should, should I or shouldn't I eat the meat that was offered in paganism? It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. What, what about your brother? Right? What about the person next to you? You ever think about them? And, and what Paul goes on to say is that as we do this counterintuitive thing, right, of, of laying aside our rights in a way that we don't expect, like there comes joy. There comes joy and fulfillment when we do this. And so just thinking about like, okay, so, so what kind of rights are, are we talking about here? Even, even more like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, that's kind of vague, right? What, what, what are we talking about here? Right Do, do you, you guys that, that work 40 hours a week or more, right? You guys that work, like, do you have the right to enjoy a weekend? Sure. Right? Do you have a right to go do whatever it is that you want to do on your day off? Sure. Right? work hard. Work hard for the week. Why don't you go camping or hunting or whatever it is that we like fill in the blank? Right? go play golf. Well within your right to do that. Right? What about maybe stay-at-home moms that you know you're around kids all day? Like, do you have a right at some point to like step away from that and go we'll grab some dinner with the ladies? With your friends? Sure you do. Right? Nobody's gonna say that, that you haven't earned that. Nobody's gonna look at you and say that you don't have the right to do that. Right? Nobody's gonna look at you and say, you don't have the right to have as, as many kids as you want. Right? Have one, have ten, doesn't matter. It's your right. Right? Another hot topic today is like you have the right to marry anybody that you want, right? Don't tell me who who I should or shouldn't marry. Right? Society would say it's, it's well within your rights to, to marry whoever you want to be. Society would even say it's your right to, if you, if you want to be a different gender than the way that you were born, it's, it's your right to do that too. I've right? been reading about that lately. Right? We, we have the, these inherent rights in our country that, that people in other countries don't have. Right? And and Paul Paul would say to all of those things, sure, I well, mean, not all of those things, but you know, Paul would say that you know you you have rights, and, and no, nobody's going to bring you under fire for exercising your right to be happy. No one's going to exercise uh, bring you under fire for exercising your right to to earn a living. Right? No, nobody's going to attack that. But what Paul would, would remind us of is even though those things are our, our right, even though we, we've earned some of those things, is it the best thing for us to exercise those rights in, in terms of our understanding of the gospel? Right, Paul Paul talks about just even his basic right, like, is it too much to ask that, that somebody would feed me when I, when I come to preach, right? <clears throat> but, but, but Paul says, no, I'm, I'm not even going to ask that, right? And, and he gets into his reasoning uh, for doing that here shortly. He says, no, I'm, I'm not even going to ask that. And he even says, by, by me not exercising my right, that I get to boast, I get to boast of my work in the Lord. And, and that word boast, like when we hear boast, we think of somebody bragging, right? Like I could stand up here and I could tell you about all the cool things I've done in my life, right? And I could tell you how awesome I am. Um, or somebody else could come up and tell you how awesome they are, right? This isn't what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about that. <clears throat> when he uses this word boasting, um, the, the meaning of that word in, in the original language is this sense of fulfillment that comes with being a part of what God is doing, Right, Paul wouldn't get up here and say, "Hey guys, I'm I'm working a job on top of you know my, my gospel ministry." Don't you guys think that that's pretty great of me? Like Paul wouldn't say that. Right, he would he would get up here and he would say, "Man, God is doing some some cool things, and you know what? I just get I get blessed to be a part of it. I get to be a part of what God's doing." Right? That, that's what he's talking about when, when he talks in this, this section here about boasting. Right? He talks about stewardship. and I'm just going to read the note out of my study Bible because I thought it was a good note. And it says this term used for stewardship refers to the responsibility of managing a household. Paul uses it metaphorically to say that God has entrusted him with a responsibility to which he must be faithful whether he benefits from it materially or not. The responsibility is to proclaim the gospel and to share its blessings. All right, Paul, Paul says here, he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Right. If, if this were you or if this were me, I won't speak for you, but maybe I'll just speak for me. If this were me, I I probably would be complaining that I had to hold down a day job just so I could eat. Right? But here's Paul, like he doesn't even worry about that. He's just like, I, I have to preach the gospel. Whether this benefits me or not, and actually it in, in in a sense it he got no benefit. Like Paul's life was hard because he preached the gospel. Like if Paul would have just kept his mouth closed, his life would have been much easier. So, so in a sense, this really was to his detriment that he would preach the gospel in, in a physical sense. And he says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Right? That's a pretty pretty heavy statement. And so Paul has, has this thing that's driving him, this thing that's compelling him to do what he does. And, and what he's not saying, he's not saying that his joy comes necessarily from gospel ministry, although I would say that I get joy from that. Maybe you would say that too, but but Paul is, he's not saying that that's that his joy just comes from the fact that, that he gets to work for the Lord. Right? He goes on to say that, that he gets to do this free of charge. Right? He's saying that's where his joy comes from. Not that he gets to do it, but that he gets to do it for free. Right? And I, I can relate to that was thinking about this last night. And I don't know if you guys ever do this, but for me, like sometimes I just, I question what it is that drives me. Question my motives in, in everything. Sometimes I question like, okay, what, like why do I want to get up here on a Sunday when I have opportunity? Like, do I, do I just want people to look at me and, and think that I'm great? Like, is that my motive? I, I hope not, but but maybe sometimes it is. I don't know. Like, do I do this just so at the end people will say, oh, good job, right? I hope not. I sometimes I don't know. Right? But, but one thing that, that I can say is I'm not in this for the money because I don't get any. Right? And, and Paul would say that too. He's like, I'm not in this for the money. Right? And there's some joy that comes, like I don't have to question that part, right? And there's some joy that comes with that. It's like, okay, okay I don't have to worry about that part of it anyway. And so in all of this, Paul, Paul is, is he's compelled to preach the gospel. Right? Are you compelled to preach the gospel? Some days I am, some, some days I'm not. Maybe you would say the same thing. Are you compelled to preach the gospel? And if you're compelled to preach the gospel for the same reason that Paul is compelled and the same reason that, that I, I hope that I'm compelled as well, that, then it becomes this, this primary area of focus in your life and you're willing to, to do whatever it takes to do that thing. I'll unpack that here in a minute too. Paul is going to get into an analogy of an athlete. And we'll, we'll talk about that here shortly. But Paul would have this to say to the Corinthians in uh, 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this as well. But in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul would say this. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the thing that's driving Paul. He gets the gospel. He understands it. Paul understands I've been reconciled to God. Now, when you think of reconciliation, like there, there's some implicit things in that term and, and it would be that in order to reconcile, like something has to be broken for, like there has to be a problem in order for it to be reconciled, right? And, and the problem was, is that you and I, we prior to knowing Christ were, were enemies of God. Like we weren't indifferent to God. We were enemies of God, the Bible tells us. And God in his love and his mercy reconciled us to himself through Jesus, right? Through Jesus stepping into humanity, stepping into flesh, humbling himself, dying a horrible death, right? God reconciled us to himself through that act, right? We had nothing to do with it. He had everything to do with it. And this is what Paul is saying here. Like, I, I get that. I've been reconciled to God through Christ. And, and Paul tells us in this, this passage, if you really understand, like if you get that, then along with that understanding come, comes a duty. You've been given the privilege of reconciliation and now you've been given the duty of reconciliation. Right? We've talked about this before. If you really understand what it means to be reconciled to God, woe to me if I don't go help others be reconciled to God. I have to do it. Right? There's this drive, this, this drive that's like compels you. Right? And if you don't have that drive compelling you, then, then I would say that you don't get the gospel. <clears throat> you don't understand the gospel. You know what? There was a day that I didn't understand the gospel. I'm still understanding the gospel, and will probably be in the process of understanding the gospel until there's no breath left in my lungs. Right? So I don't want anybody to like. You might hear this, you don't get the gospel, and maybe maybe you're offended by that. Don't be offended. Right? I didn't get the gospel and many of you at some point didn't get the gospel and at a point God met you and you got the gospel. You understood the gospel. Right? It's why we gather as much as we do. It's why we do the things that we do so that at the end of the day we can better understand the gospel. <clears throat> Paul is compelled by his understanding of the gospel to go take the gospel to others who don't understand it. Like you see how that works? And the best part about it, Paul would say, I, I, get, I get to do this. I get to do this for free. I don't have to charge anybody like the other people do. Right? And you can just see in that that <clears throat> there's this authenticity that comes with a guy like Paul. Like, you don't look at Paul's life and, and you don't really question. Like, does this guy really believe what he's what he's preaching? Like, there's no question about that. Right? You don't look at Paul and, and and say, is this guy the real deal? Right? You might look at Paul and say, that guy's crazy, but you don't look at him and say, is he like, is this guy legit? He's legit. And here's the thing that we've got to understand, you guys, like. Sometimes we can look at a guy like Paul and think, okay, that's that's well and good for him. Right? But but God hasn't called me to live like that. Like there's only one guy like Paul, right? God hasn't called me to live like that. And I'm here to tell you, God, God has called us to live like that. Right? These things aren't just for the really zealot guys like Paul. Right? This is the call to all believers. That we would live in a way where we look at our rights. Right? That we would look at our weekend. And we would say, my weekend is secondary to gospel ministry. To gospel work. I'm not saying never go enjoy a weekend. Please don't hear that. Don't hear that at all. Right? But, But... Everything in life, whether you realize it or not, is, is a means to an end for you. The question is, like, what is your end? What is your end? Right? We, we get up every day and go to a job, maybe for some of us that we don't even like. It's a means to an end. Right? We get a paycheck, and that paycheck affords us certain opportunities. Right? Would, you, would you go to your job if, if there wasn't a paycheck? A lot of us probably wouldn't. Right? Maybe some of us really love what we do. Right? I love what I do. Right? Maybe, that, maybe that's true of you. But if I didn't get a paycheck, like when that alarm goes off, I'd probably hit the snooze button a few more times. Like I wouldn't have that drive right? to, to get up and I wouldn't be as compelled. Right? So, so everything we do in life is a means to an end. The question just is, what, what is the end? Right? And you look at a guy like Paul and you know what his end is. His end in everything as one who's been reconciled to God has to be that now I can take that message to everybody else. And so in order to do that, I'm going I'm to work a full-time job and I'm going to provide for myself and it's going to be really hard and I'm probably going to hate it some days. But I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to get off work and then I'm going to go to work again for the gospel and I'm going to I'm going to preach the gospel to people that need to hear it and they're going to hate me. Some of them are going to try to kill me. But you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to do it again. All for no paycheck. That's crazy. And I shouldn't say no paycheck. You know, Paul's looking, he's looking beyond today. Right? He's looking beyond this life and realizing that, hey, my, my reward, my reward is eternity. Right, so so there is, in a sense, a paycheck, and that's the thing that, that's driving Paul. And because that's the thing that's driving him, Paul would Paul would look at his job and say, "You know what? This is just a means to an end. This is just a means for me to further the gospel." Right, Paul. Paul would look at his weekend and say, "You know what? Really love to go play golf this weekend, but you know what? It's it's a means to an end." And so what can I do to further the gospel? And maybe maybe you can further the gospel and play golf, and that's great. Like I said, I don't, I don't want anybody to hear me up here saying, you know, don't, don't ever do things like that, not saying that. And what Paul would say here is that you're going to get greater fulfillment and greater joy by living this way than, than the way that you're living now. And it sounds weird, it sounds counterintuitive it sounds maybe even wrong but why else would a guy like paul continue to get up every day and face death threats i can't think of anything else that that makes sense in my mind paul goes on to to give us the the reason in verse 19 finish out the chapter here says for though i am free from all i have made myself a servant to all That I might win more of them. And there's his reason right there. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all of the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so real quickly, Paul gives us his purpose, right, his reason. And his reason simply is that all of my life is is going to be pointing to one thing. And that's that people would hear the gospel through me, that everything I do would aim to that end. Right, that I would use my job as a platform to proclaim the gospel. <clears throat> not, not, not as a platform for me to, to amass wealth and build my kingdom, but that it would be a platform to build God's kingdom. Right? That I would use my house and my family and my free time as a platform for the gospel. And so it, it kind of begs a question for all of us, like what... What, what is your purpose in life? What does the end look like for you? Are you willing to lay aside life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness for the sake of the gospel? And I'll be honest, like there's some days I'm, I'm not willing to do that. Like I don't want to do that, right? I'm sure it's true of, of you too. And like I said before, in, in those instances, like we're, we're not understanding the gospel because if we understood the gospel, like we'd be all in. I mean, if we just had perfect understanding of everything, beginning to, like we would be all in, no no question about it. <clears throat> Paul uses the, this analogy of of an athlete. Right? Some of you guys have, have been athletes. Maybe some of you guys still are athletes, and. You know what a rigorous thing it can be, right, to pursue any type of, of athletics. And if you if you want to win, like you've got to work hard. <clears throat> you've got to sacrifice. Right? It's not easy. You've got you've to go into it with a plan. Right? You can't just decide one day be the greatest baseball player ever and just, you know, wing it. Like you've you got to have a plan, you have a strategy, right, that goes into this. And you 've got to know beforehand like it 's going to cause me to change my diet, right i 'm going, going to have to exercise, I to have to make time for certain things that, that aren't pleasant. right you, you know what goes into that, and, and Paul uses when he talks of discipline, that word means to, to pummel my body and make it a slave. <clears throat> kind of paints a picture, doesn't it? To pummel my body and make it a slave right if you're going to do that if I'm going to do that, that that requires some intention on our part like that doesn't just happen accidentally right he talks about the, the, the runner who, who wanders aimlessly or the boxer who's just punching in, into the air right you're not going to get anywhere if, if that's you right in in this christian life that the that, that we as believers are called to it is not something that's going to happen by accident it's not going to happen just because we we show up at, at church once a week right it happens when we when we understand the gospel and the byproduct of that understanding is that now I'm willing to lay aside my right of Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for a greater purpose. Right, for a much greater, for ultimate life, ultimate liberty, ultimate happiness. Right, because it's it's not going to be found in the things that we chase. Right, it's not going to be found in a job, in a relationship, in stuff like we know that. Right, where it's found is, is in Jesus Christ, and Paul tells us here. This is my joy, this is my fulfillment that I get to do this every day. I get to wake up every day and face death threats. I get to wake up every day and work until I'm so tired I can't even stand. And then I get to go do it again tomorrow. And that's a joyous thing and I get fulfillment from that. That's kind of crazy. So many things in the Bible are counterintuitive. Right, what did did Jesus tell us? Someone punches you in the face. Let them punch you again. Who does that? Right? If someone takes from you, give them more. Right. We don't do that. Right? These things are all counterintuitive. And these are things that on my best day that I don't have much interest in doing. I really don't. <clears throat> on my best day, if someone punches me in the face, like, I'm probably not going to say, here, take this side. I might just walk away on my best day. Certainly wouldn't say, take another swing. Right. wouldn't do that. The only way that we do these things, the only way that we live this way, the only way that we can look at our rights and say they're secondary is by having an understanding of the gospel. I don't want to like, belabor that point, but you know, there's some, some of us here that maybe have an understanding of the gospel. And we still hear this and think, ah, I don't know about that. Right? There's some of us, like some of you are here like, no way. I don't want to sign up for that. I get that, right? I've been there. There's some of us that you know maybe you hear this like, okay, I can, I can get on board. Like I understand the the truth there, but but man, it's really hard. It is. It is hard. And and <clears throat> what what I would say to, to all of us, in that me included, is that, and we we got to understand the gospel more and more because. When we understand it, it begs a response, and that response is either as we see some people in the Bible just walk away from from it completely and say no thanks, or to, to jump in with both feet, right? And that we begin to, to live a life that looks different. And, and that's not of our own doing at all. And so so the question to us today is like, do do we get the gospel? And I think the answer is pretty, pretty easy. I think we can look at our lives and say, do I live this way? Okay, well, may, maybe I get it. By not living this way, maybe it's clear that I don't get it. Right? But here's the good news. <clears throat> right? God has, has called us, as Kevin talked about earlier, to a community where we live with one another. Right? I'm not going to get this on my own. You're not going to get it on your own. Right? We're not going to get it just by showing up once a week. Just tell you straight up, you're not going to get it if all you do is show up once a week. Right? We get it by participating in one another's lives, right? By realizing that we are members one of another. We get it by living together and figuring this out together. Right? That's God's design. that's That's not our plan, right? That's God's design. But that's how we would, we would come into an understanding of who he is through our interaction with one another. A bunch of sinners getting together. Right. This is God's design. As so we stand up here and make these opportunities available to you guys for home groups, for core groups, for school. All these things. Right. As we make these opportunities available. right, We're not just trying to fill a schedule. Right? We're trying to create opportunities where we can more and more as time goes on, understand all of these things where we can understand the privilege and the duty of, of reconciliation, the ministry that, that God has, has given us. <clears throat> and so just in closing here, we can have the band come up. We're gonna move into communion here in a second, but I just wanna leave you guys with, with those thoughts and just ask you, and maybe, maybe this would even be a topic for discussion this afternoon as we gather in home groups. Like, how do I know if I get the gospel? Right? How, do, how do we know if we, if we understand the gospel? Right? I don't, I don't want to leave you with this thought of, okay, go, go make your, your rights and your pursuits secondary. Everybody have a good day. Right? I, I don't want to do that. Because you're going to leave from here and like you're not going to be into it and I'm, I'm not going to be into it either. <clears throat> the only way that, that, that my rights become secondary is when I, when I realize, again, that you know, Jesus stepping into humanity so that I can know him. right? Jesus setting aside his rights for my sake. How else am I going to respond to that if I really understand it? In any way that makes any sense whatsoever, except by doing the same thing, right? It's the only response that makes any sense. And so I want to leave you with that thought, and um, it's really fitting as we as we move into communion because communion, we're we're told by the Bible that that it's so that we would remember, right? And and, and what we would remember today is is. Jesus laying aside his, his right of deity and stepping into the flesh, stepping into humanity and subjecting himself to earthly authority, subjecting himself to the authority that he created, Right, dying at the hand of the people that he created. And not just because he was a glutton, but that, so that you and I could know him. So that you and I can now live for him, that he would be the end of all of our means. Right, and so it's very, very fitting to, to remember that as we take communion today. Right? The Bible says if, if you're not a believer, then communion isn't for you. If you haven't bought into these things, you have nothing to, to remember. And so this isn't for you. But, but if you're a believer here today and you've bought into these things, this is absolutely for you not just a ritual that we do, but that we would remember what's real and what's true and what's important. That we would remember the ultimate act of of laying aside of rights by God himself. So ponder that. I'm going to pray and then you guys just get communion uh, at whatever point you want during this last song. And take it on your own. God, thanks so much for your word. God, it never seems like enough to to say thank you for stepping into humanity. I just don't know what else to say. God, may we remember today the message of the gospel. And God, maybe there's some of us here that um, maybe have heard the message over and over again and and maybe we understand it, God. Uh, Give us a fresh perspective. Maybe there's some of us here today, uh, God, who maybe have heard the message and and just don't buy into it. God, open our eyes to what's true. And maybe there's some of us here, uh, God, who uh, don't have much familiarity with the message uh, and would ask the same thing, God, that you would open our eyes to what's true uh, in that so that we would all have an understanding uh, God of the gospel that we would all have an understanding of who you are and what you've done God that we would be able to see the depth of your love the magnitude of your grace and how much greater it is than than the sin that's in our lives God we're thankful for today and just pray that as we go about our afternoons as we get in to the work week, that those thoughts uh, would not leave us, that they would always be on the front of our mind. God, we ask this in your name. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Kirk County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.